You're listening to Cosmic Tonic. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, let me say that again. <clears throat> Cosmic Tonic. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Cosmic Tonic. Today, we speak on the archetype and sign of Pisces. If you like what we do, please leave us a five-star rating, write a review, or share the podcast with your friends. We appreciate it. And there's a couple different ways you can listen to us. On your favorite podcast app or by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Thanks for being here and happy Pisces season. Well, hello everyone. Here we get to swim in Pisces season, my favorite season of all, where I just love to dream and hang out. (laughs) So anyhow, Pisces season begins February 19th and goes through March 20th. Um, Her modern day ruler is Neptune and the traditional is Jupiter. The symbol is the fish. It's a feminine sign. It's a water sign and it's mutable. As its modality. And yeah, some of the key words for Pisces, I often think of, I dream, I believe, I wish, I merge. And um, yeah, that's my kickoff today. And I'd really love to spend some time unpacking her archetype and also getting into some of the psychology. But if I had it my way, I would just douse myself with potion number nine. <laughs> as I just think of Pisces as more of the unconditional love, even beyond this lovely Valentine's Day that we recently went through. <laughs> yeah, that's my kickoff. <laughs> Why do you love Pisces season so much, Kestrel? I just, well, it's my seventh house. I can't help it. It's where Venus is exalted at 27 degrees. And we were just musing over that, that she actually gets, Venus will enter Pisces. What was it? We said February 25th. February 25th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think of mermaids and beautiful nymphs and sea creatures and the mystery. And it's just an etheric place I could wander all day and just look at the clouds and make shapes and see dolphins. <laughs> it's an escape for me, which maybe we could get into that as well um, around the glyph, around the Aphrodite and Aerosmith. But I'm going to pause because my Pisces just is effusive <laughs> and I love everyone. <laughs> So Kestrel and I both have Pisces moons and we often joke on the podcast about how tangential we can get. Eliza has an Aries moon show. (laughs) It's quite the opposite of how we approach having these conversations. Kestrel and I can be on the call for hours and Eliza's out. Like she might actually, aren't you going to leave the call early today? So if this, still love you. <laughs> if this ends up being a two-hour podcast, please forgive us. Um, but a little quick story about us. Kestrel has a 23 degrees Pisces moon, which just so happens to be Eliza and I's composite moon. So we all have a very special relationship with this archetype. Mm-hmm. And that's the degree of the new moon on March, March 14th. Yeah. So that's something to consider in our WhatsApp threads <laughs> voice memo. <laughs> if 
we come up with anything illuminating, maybe we can share it on the podcast, but that feels special. Mm -hmm. It does feel really special. I was so excited when I saw that. Yeah. Reviewing this month's lunations or this seasons, let's say this season's lunations, the Virgo full moon, and then the Pisces new moon, which again, that axis is my first seventh. And yeah, I don't want to dive into the lunations yet though. (laughs) Although of course that's where Pisces moons want to (laughs) live. Yeah. You know, when I think about that axis, some of the keywords that come to my own mind are Virgo involving some sense of control, of mastery, of, of concreteness, and to, and to an extent, corporeality, materiality, um, being able to see the finite edges of things and to control outcome to some extent, whereas Pisces is much more in the realm of trust and acceptance maybe but in a kind of transcendental way and just release letting go of expectation so I feel like we do a lot of talking about this axis and also with our friend Anya who um, contemplates this axis a lot I think it's one of the axes that we do the most talking of. And given that you two both have this prominent in your own charts, I'm wondering if you have any other thoughts about that inherent tension, but also about the um, affinity between Virgo and Pisces. Hmm. I definitely have thoughts about the inherent tension of that axis because I live it every day. And I think becoming an astrologer has really helped me focus on what that tension means for me. And maybe I can impart a little bit of knowledge onto the audience about how I personally deal with this tension. And I find that I really need both sides of the polarity just in how I function on a day-to-day level. And so what I've taught myself to do is I spend half of the day really focused on the Virgo archetype and it's in the mornings. It's when I'm the most fresh. It's when I can really have that more systematic approach to what I'm doing and really capitalize on it. But I notice that after I do that for an extensive period of time, I have to shut it down because it is so analytical and it is, it, it is like you were saying that piece of control of manipulating the tangible world that I have to also let go of and also honor my Piscean side, which happens so quickly around the hour of 5 PM every day where I just really want to enter that, place of letting go and stop what I'm doing and cook for my family and read books and and become more dream oriented and just kind of let go of control. Um, So I make sure that I'm allowing myself space to do both and have both. And 
a lot of times when I'm talking to clients about the potential of doing that, when they do have prominent Virgo and Pisces, it starts to make sense to them. Because I feel like when you do have a lot of planets or even luminaries or, or just energy on that access, if you don't find the balance or you don't allow yourself to have that balance, then it can become just very confusing and it's, it, it, you can be hard on yourself mm-hmm. for, for not honoring what the archetypes mean on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can get very confusing and it also can get very rigid. It feels rigid. like this. Yeah. And I love that there's the earth water polarity too. It's this oscillation. And I just think of, you know, the Virgo giving it form, a container, and then, you know, the Pisces being on the other side, being able to kind of dissolve some of that form as well. And um, I relate very much to what you're saying. And it it's cool to to have more of that concrete form to begin the day and then to move into the release. Because like I was saying, it's that I dream and I just feel like there's such an opportunity with the dream state. And I, and I think about it too, because the first decan of Pisces is ruled by Saturn. So it's, it's those dreams that can offer us an idea of the archetypes that are playing out in our life. It's such Mm -hmm. as unconscious state, but how do we make those tangible in the day to day? Um, So that also comes to mind. How do you feel like you deal with the tension of that access Kestrel? (laughs) I was actually just, do you even deal with it at all? Well, I've been trying to think of the escape point because I've been getting a lot of feedback that I'm trying to figure out that I can be really over analytical and somewhat rigid, but then I also can be very um, hard to attain. Like it's almost like I'm in the clouds. I'm a bit of a mystery. And so I've been thinking of Sag a little bit as my escape point because it just puts me into like a little lighter hearted mood mood per se. It's like a a more carefree space. It's that exploration adventure stage. So that's how I've sort of been conceptualizing it because I think it can be a real escape to hang out in the Pisces and I can really go to this spirit realm where I'm not grounding it, but then I can get too rigid. Like I was saying, I almost think of it as this river of well-being. on one side, there's chaos. I think maybe I've talked about this before on the other, it's just, it's, it's rigid. And, and how do I get into that flow? And there's something about the Sagittarius archetype that just invites that more playfulness out and not to take either sides of that axis serious. Um, Yeah, that's how I've been thinking about it recently. (laughs) Well, and, you know, I think this is a really fascinating point because all of these signs are mutable. So we have Pisces, Virgo as one axis and squaring that axis is Gemini, Sagittarius. And all of the mutable signs traditionally are are known as the two-bodied signs the bicorporeal signs. So there's something about that comfort and two-ness, that comfort in duality. And I I love your invocation of Sagittarius in particular, because 
we often represent Sagittarius as the centaur, which is half civilized, I'm using air quotes here, half civilized man and half beast. So to think of, not that Pisces is the beast, but to think of Pisces as maybe being closer to those nocturnal impulses, those dream, that, that dream world, the lunar world, and then civilized thought, education being that more solar uh, Virgo world and Virgo is represented by the maiden uh, in image, imagery, the winged maiden, but a maiden nonetheless. Um, it's, I don't know, there's something there. There's something that's, I think, owning that duality and not needing to go to either extreme, but maybe to embody both at the same time, if, if that makes sense with Sagittarius. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it becomes sort of that third entity out of it too. Cause I think of like these dual bodies and what, what becomes of the third entity of it. I don't know if that makes sense though. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Well, it seems like they're, you're merging the two, right? And that comes across in the archetype of the centaur, like Eliza was saying, being half beast, half man. And honoring both sides of yourself, if you want to see it like light and shadow. The other part of what you were saying, Kestrel, about using Sagittarius to understand the polarity, to understand that duality, is you spend a lot of time in nature. And it is that adventure piece and like stepping outside of your normal everyday life to have that experience in nature that can also really balance the tension between the Virgo Pisces axis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is something to consider, you know, mm-hmm. something for the audience to consider. Mm-hmm. So another thing I think about with Pisces, well, um, yeah. Another thing I think about with Pisces is just that incredible porousness. So with porousness, we often find qualities of incredible empathy, incredible compassion, also psychism. And I've seen this a lot with people who have prominent Pisces or else who have either the moon or Neptune on the ascendant. Those people are psychic (laughs) or they might literally get premonitions. They might... Um, get prophetic dreams. They might have more of an awareness of other presences, spirit, um, people who are past. So both both of those qualities though, of being empathetic with people in one's life and and then also just being maybe a bit psychic, uh, I think to me have to do with boundaries, not being again, rigid, like not, not being airtight. There's just a more of an openness. There's more of a, um, yeah, there's more room for merging, but there are challenges to that. So I'm, I'm curious too, then like with both of you having Pisces moons, like, do you, do you experience that more as a gift or as a challenge? (laughs) I'm going to say gift and curse. It's a, it's, it's my greatest gift and it's my greatest curse. You know, it's just this, 
beautiful ability to open our heartedly merge and bond and experience that unconditional love and you know given feet you can give it freely like there's a there's a freedom around it and it can also at times be received gratefully but it also can be victimized it can be taken advantage of um it's a play on dissolving into other because there's so much that can come from that but there's also like discerning where the boundary is between mm-hmm. self and other and the material and the divine and I, and I think I talk a lot about this in the podcast and sometimes I think it's my son in the 12th of course it is important also to acknowledge that Pisces is the end of the zodiac so that could be causing part of the vibration for me but I also think it's very Piscean in nature. And it's also just this constant cycle of ending and beginning. And I think it was um, Susie Chang and her new book, 36 Secrets, which is amazing, by the way, I just want to give a shout out to her, but she was talking about the last decade of Pisces. And it's like this veil of a waterfall and, um, you know, seeing the other side of things and, you know, yeah, like I said, this constant beginning and ending and, and that's how we are with people too. Like it's, it's, you know, where do I begin and where does another begin? But it's, where can we also let go of our egos as well? Mm-hmm. And that seems very <clears throat> Pisces in nature. Mm-hmm. And not just about me and you and we, but what is that third entity that comes from the merging and yeah and I think for me I had to learn what that was what it meant how to define it and the word that comes to mind is clairsentient and I think people with prominent Pisces are clairsentient and what that means is feeling is your sixth sense and once you start to understand your Pisces, if you do have Pisces prominently in your chart, you do realize that there is that ability. And it can be, like you said, Kesha, a blessing and a curse. And it's how do you navigate that? And when do you turn it on? When do you turn it off is always the question at play. And it takes time. It takes practice, but it's also just that knowing and recognizing what that is and being able to step into environments and be able to use it. But then once you're out of that environment, being able to turn it off because it's not healthy to always carry around other people's energy with you. And um, the boundary piece is very important. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Well, I... Like I've come to know this about traveling with you, Jasmine. Like yeah. I, it's a good I, time. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, I, no, I, I want to speak to the clairsentient piece. I have such a clear memory of like our first day in Cairo, and we were walking towards the Nile, and I wanted to like wander, <laughs> you know, down the Nile or what have you along the water, and you just had this feeling. You're like, I don't. This doesn't feel good. Let's go back. Like you, you just, you, you couldn't really articulate why, but you just said, something's not feeling right. Let's, I think we should just go back. And literally in the next 15 minutes, there was mm-hmm. 
that explosion on the bus and a number uh, on the, just the other side of the Nile, we wouldn't have been at risk, but we might have seen it happen. It was literally just on the other side of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and a number of um, a number of tourists were killed. So it's like that was a freaky moment for me um, in terms of just like giving you the space to have that feeling and then to also think, uh, but yes, let's go back <laughs> because you're picking up on something that my Aries moon is not picking up on. My Aries moon wants to go for a walk, <laughs> but your Pisces moon was like subliminally, I feel picking up on some kind of tension that did actually materialize mm-hmm. within the next 15 mm-hmm. minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And then there's also carrying that tension too, because there was that time in Mississippi where we had done numerous interviews with people for the book that you're writing. And the last gentleman that we interviewed, his energy just got all over me. And I was, I I literally couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it to the point that I wasn't able to drive very well. And I basically wrecked the car a little bit. You remember that too, but that's the boundary piece. I I didn't set that boundary for myself to say, you know what, I've done enough for this trip and I need to stop here because I, I did recognize that I was starting to become like extremely anxious and nervous and on the fritz, except I still went ahead and kept going. And that's the piece that's hard for Pisces to navigate I think sometimes is just knowing okay you've taken on too much stop pause break or something you know detrimental could potentially happen which it it does you know if I'm taking on too much too much energy at once or I've exhausted myself to a certain point I I will mess things up (laughs) It's usually like in the form of a car or, I don't know, breaking something or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've literally experienced that too in my partnerships or past partnerships where the other person gets injured and I'm the one who's having the emotion about it to the yeah. point where they have to set a boundary with me and be like, this is my ancestral, <laughs> like you're not bleeding. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Yeah, and I cry at everything. Like, I just, like, everything moves me. Like, it's just this flow of energy. I feel like I am the ocean and can hold so much. I mean, that's that's the part of it, though. I can hold a lot. And it's this beautiful container of love and compassion, like you were saying, and intuition and caring and cuddles and nurturing. But it comes a point where I do want to go back over to Virgo. And Nip it. turn it off, turn the valve <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about some of the lunations? Definitely. Is it, is it time? It's time. It's time. Um, okay, so the, the full moon in Virgo, speaking of Virgo, will be on February 27th at nine degrees Virgo. And what immediately strikes my eye about this one is that it's scoring the nodes, which means that we're at the halfway point between eclipses. So this is actually, officially, this is called 
the bending, I believe it's the northern bending because then it's going to start gravitating towards the south node as the moon wanes again. Um, but certainly it's a, it seems to be a halfway point in terms of what we're actually integrating from those, from the eclipses that we experienced during Sag season and then, you know, the next eclipses that we'll experience during Gemini season. But I, what I, I don't know, I like this moon and I think I like it because Venus will have just entered Pisces. And even though Venus is under the beams, which means is close enough to be getting singed by the sun, I do feel like she's sweetening the whole affair. And I think too, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. So this, this moon is ruled by Mercury, it being a Virgo moon and Mercury is, you know, now direct at this point and sidling up to Jupiter. So and Jupiter is ruling the sun. So it feels like a very, there's something that feels sweet and lush about this lunation. Mm-hmm. I like that you brought up the bending concept because what I've noticed about that specifically is it highlights missteps and the fact that you were bringing up the eclipses. It's an opportunity to think about maybe what did I miss or what could I redo or rethink about or apply in this way? Because eclipses are bringing us opportunity. They're bringing us knowledge. There are opportunities for growth. And so I was just wondering like what you thought about this idea of missteps, Eliza, and how to utilize that bending concept a little bit more. Yeah, that's a really good question that I don't have an immediate answer to, but let me think on it. (laughs) I mean, we've used this metaphor in other episodes, but I I do find when things square the nose, the, the nodes that there is something like grit, like there's grit in the eye, I think was the metaphor I used, sand in the eye, or even like the grit that that the oyster then kind of concentrates into a pearl in some form. Um, It's funny, if you imagine the square spatially, I'm trying to use my hands to do so. I've heard it described as being a blind spot of sorts Mm -hmm. because it's not directly opposite us as the opposition is. But, you know, Traditionally, there is a still a clear line of sight. So I don't know if that's a totally valid metaphor, but I do find that when, when planets are squaring the nodes, or in this case, a lunation is squaring the nodes, there is an invitation to maybe bring something out of the subconscious or out of the blind spot into the center of our awareness. So I guess I would invite people to look back on that time. So this would have been November 30th to December 14th of 2020. And think about what came up, like what themes were coming up, what people were entering your life, what problems were you solving or ruminating on? And where are those stories now? With the nodes of the moon, I really like to think about it in terms of story, in terms of narrative, like what narratives are we unfolding? And this is the halfway point between the eclipses, like lighting up the opposite sides of the nodes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is a pivot point of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I think that in terms of reflecting on the year in the quarterly increments as per the eclipse points, 
it might be like a fruitful exercise to just consider, okay, well, what stories were started around the eclipses in say November, December? And yeah, where are we now? And then take stock again at the next eclipse series in Gemini and then take stock again once we're in Virgo season and to see like how those have, how those have shifted or how those stories have shifted. But it is, you know, these are, this is one cycle among many, many, many cycles that we can look at in astrology. But I do think it's a, it's an interesting one, partly because eclipses are so uh, activating. Like they're, they're, they're not subtle energies, <laughs> um, much like Uranus in a way. They arrive with a flash and a bang often. They're a sudden plot twist. They're a sudden like injection of energy. Um, so they can, for that reason, be maybe easier to track than some of the other cycles. But mm -hmm. I guess it depends on your chart too. If, if the mutable axes are not prominent in your chart, you may not be feeling them in the same way. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's so interesting too, to see with maybe examining the full moon, right? And I loved how you were talking about the square and it, it's kind of in a blind spot, but if you, you, you peek, you can see it and the, maybe the moonlight's kind of disseminating a little bit of like what has really grown in that eclipse cycle, like around some of the themes that came up for you in November to December. Um, you know, how much has it blossomed or really give you, given you a preview of this story that's being written during this six month window. And so the full moon almost to me represents like, okay, this is what's sort of come into fullness. Is this what I'm wanting? Does this make sense? What, what could I release as the moon starts to wane? And then of course, two weeks later, we're going to get this new moon in Pisces, which is also, you know, maybe thinking about what, how do you want to shift your intentions a little bit or how you can tweak or just kind of dial back or dial up on certain things that just started to kind of come through because it is it's such a it's such a crossroads it's such a now we're really moving to the other side and moving towards the Gemini edge or Gemini season where we'll get that eclipse again and the new moon is on March 14th at 23 degrees Pisces <laughs> I'm, I'm giggling because that's Kestrel's moon um, <laughs> it feels like such a new opportunity though for me. <laughs> I don't know. It's just interesting when you have a lunation occur on your moon and especially it's, it's such a different moon than what I'm born under. Do you want to speak a little bit about the last decan of Pisces since that's where it's falling, Kestrel? There's just something so jubilant about the Pisces and I think especially being my seventh house and it just ruling there just seems like there's so much you know wishing and opportunity but also being careful what you wish for and then the ten of cups where my moon exists is just that kind of final act where I picture that huge rainbow and it's it's kind of you know the the curtains falling and and things are like at their fullness and although we're going to have a new moon there so maybe it's a new beginning of something that but behind the scenes or behind the curtain uh, things are already being taken down um i don't know if that makes sense yeah well, it's like the fairy tale ending <laughs> It is a fairy tale ending. <laughs> and that lunation is very really dreamy to me. Like it's conjunct Venus and Neptune. So that is 
100% bearing an energy of fantasy and of, of dream and of fairy tales. And, you know, it makes me think of that Neptunian, that Neptunian quality of Hollywood. And like, you know, when you see a scene in a film and then the camera backs up and then you see actually the set and it's like the, that moment of the, the fantasy world actually being seeing how the sausage is made or seeing seeing the ways in which it is actually a fantasy world. There is like a, a slight sense of that, maybe with that deacon, because it is that point that's going to eventually give way to the Aries point, like to zero Aries um, and to the beginning of the Zodiac again. Mm-hmm. But this does seem to be a really dreamy and imaginal new moon. Like it feels really creative. It feels very spiritual like it feels like it could really invite a lot of um a lot of witchery a lot of enchantment however people want to funnel that whether they have personal practices creative or spiritual or otherwise it feels like a really juicy moon for that Mm -hmm. a really juicy moon just to open up completely and just be fluid with whatever's happening in your life that's what it feels like to me Mm -hmm. Maybe a little extra time outside or in beauty, thinking of those we love, I guess. Yeah. And just like you said, Eliza, starting creative projects too. It's a great lunation for that. Yeah. And always considering too where Pisces falls in your chart. So, you know, if you are an Aries rising, that new moon in Pisces will have a very nocturnal and maybe even hidden quality for you. If you're a Virgo rising like Jasmine and Kestrel, it could be absolutely centered around relationship or other in some way or creative mm-hmm. partnership as well. Um, and, you know, going forth around the Zodiac. But it's, I, I do like to use lunations as these, these ports, like these ports in the month that we can just really take stock and, um, imbue with intention or just imbue with meaning or just contemplation it gives us a like an excuse to sit down with our tarot deck and a candle and just ask some questions or find some direction um and there are you know so many other ways to to mark these moons but i do think that new moons and full moons both invite a certain amount of contemplation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i also think about music too with Neptune and Venus being involved with this lunation. It just feels like time to switch up the playlists, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But it's a great opportunity to discover new music with Neptune involved as well. And anyway. Yeah, well, and notice what it inspires you and what sort of emotions it evokes as well. And just letting them flow too. Like that's the other thing is practicing some non-attachment around the emotions and knowing too, they shall pass and flow. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they may seem really big at one point, but just think about if you toss them into the ocean, they would dissolve. They they would be hardly detectable after a while. That's a good point. And also thinking about what the eclipse has brought up as well. And in terms of emotional attachment to things and maybe letting that go on some level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it does seem like a really um, glass half full signature than a glass half empty signature mm -hmm. rather than being fearful of the emotions or the uncertainty, just like fully embracing the awe and the opportunity. Right. And I don't know. I just, especially being ruled by Jupiter, there's just something very jubilant and jovial and joyful about Pisces. Yeah. That this too shall pass. <laughs> Well, I think that's a great note to wrap it up. This too shall pass. <laughs> we shall we all into shall. silence. <laughs> Where can um, people find you, Kestrel? Yeah, so people can find me at Kesaru at Inst on Instagram and then also KestrelNeatHop.com and soon to be on the Cosmic Tonic website as well. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, And go ahead. I was just going to say that that website is www.CosmicTonic.com um, and... Our Instagram handle is at Cosmic Tonic and our Twitter is at Cosmic underscore Tonic. And we'd like to thank everyone for being here and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>